and welcome to Taking the Party Out of Politics. This is a podcast about understanding how politics is supposed to work, why it isn't working, as well as it could be working, and what we might be able to do about it. In Series 1, we took a look at how government is supposed to work from the perspective of us, the voters. In Season 2, we took a look at how government is supposed to work from the perspective of someone trying to get elected and then trying to do a good job. This is Season 3. In Season 3, we're going to be looking at what we might be able to do to make things work a bit better. Welcome to Episode 30 of Taking the Party Out of Politics. Today we're going to continue our look at how we might solve some of the big challenges facing us and our political system. Yeah, that's right, we've spent the past year or so detailing the problems. But now we're going to take our understanding of the problems, our understanding of why things aren't working as well as they should be working, and we're going to start to bring together some of the best ways in which we could change things. And it is about changing things, tweaking things, adjusting things. It isn't about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. There are many good things in our political system, and we should keep the good things. But we shouldn't be overawed by the good things. We should acknowledge where there are shortcomings, and we should work out how to fix them. Now today we're going to continue that process by looking at the idea of citizen government. Stop electing and start selecting. Citizen government. Last time we discussed the idea of citizen scrutiny. Random but representative citizens who would be selected perhaps by lottery, to serve on a scrutiny committee, checking up on what our government and ministers are doing. Well, perhaps that could be taken one step further. Perhaps we could have random but representative citizens who would be selected to do the jobs which our government and ministers do now. The second part of the answer, then, about how we might change the way the system operates is stop electing and start selecting. Selecting randomly but representatively, from an agreed pool. Now, we spent quite a long time last time exploring how we would select the members of a citizen scrutiny committee, what sorts of people we would want, a cross-section of our society with different perspectives, backgrounds, experience, needs, and how we might select them. Let's not revisit all of that now. Let's just assume that it would be possible to have a system which gave us a pool of good citizens who would be prepared to step up if they were called upon. If you want to have some more time to think about how that selection process would work, then please have a listen to our last episode, Citizen Scrutiny. The question which is intriguing us today is, if we had such a pool of people, could they do more than just look into the detail of the wicked issues in citizens' assemblies? Could they do more than just check up on the quality of what our government and ministers are doing in citizen scrutiny? could they actually be asked to do the jobs which our government and ministers are doing at the moment? How successful could they be expected to be? What might we gain and what might we risk losing? Well, before we get too excited about the detail of how it would work and what the challenges and opportunities might be, let's take a little step back and think about how this has in fact already been done. There are many things which we would not want to repeat from the world of Athenian democracy. Only adult males who were not slaves were allowed to vote. We wouldn't want that sort of elitism. 
There was a massive assembly in which every citizen, well, okay, only the adult males, but every one of those, every citizen was able to get together. Every one of them had an equal right to speak in the assembly and an equal right to vote. Majority vote rules rather than the interests of political parties or the interests of lobbying groups or of existing vested interests. That's direct democracy. Everyone is involved in all the big decisions. Now, that might sound attractive for a moment, but with 60 million people, that just isn't practical. Even with technological solutions, we'd probably end up with just an endless series of referendums. And frankly, our lives are more complex today. We simply don't have the time for everyone to be able to learn all the details about every issue which government has to deal with. There are some reasons why we delegate this stuff to our elected representatives, so that they can do all of that detailed stuff on our behalf. But the way our current system works, our delegates end up being members of political parties, and those political parties have their own agendas. Political parties have their own interests. First of all, their own survival, their own agendas for the way things should be done, their ideologies, their own attempts to get into power. Well, that's not working either. So are there bits of what was involved in Athenian democracy which we might want to think about using today? Well, there's one idea which might be worth considering. It was called a boule. Professor Michael Scott is a professor in classics and ancient history at the University of Warwick. This is what he said about the boule in a recent BBC podcast about ancient Athenian democracy. Then, guiding the assembly is a council that's called the boule, and every tribe contributes the same number of people to the boule. The assembly of all the citizens who were eligible to vote didn't get everyone together all of the time. Even in ancient Athens, that would have meant that nothing else ever got done. No farming, no fishing, no business, no philosophising. No, the assembly needed a lot of the preparatory work to be done, a lot of the thinking and detail to be dealt with by an advisory group. And that was the boule. Now, the important thing about the boule is that every one of the eligible citizens could be selected to be on it. In fact, and this is what Professor Michael Scott said again, Every single male adult citizen, OK, once we get past that kind of difficult bitter pill, every one of those people equally could end up on the top governing council, the boule of the Athenian state, because it was a sort of random lot that they chose people by. You're only allowed to do it twice in your life, and you couldn't do it in two consecutive years. So actually, with that kind of turnover, we estimate that something like two-thirds of the entire adult male citizen population had experience of being on the top council of Athens at some point in their lives. And that means that a huge number of people had direct experience of actually being at the very epicentre of political affairs not just turning up in the assembly to hear the debates and to speak in the debates, but actually being there in the council. So, every single eligible citizen, let's not get stuck on the fact that today we wouldn't accept that it was only male citizens who weren't slaves. We don't have to consider adopting everything from ancient Athens, only the best, most relevant bits. So, every single eligible citizen could end up on the top governing council, the boule. Now, that has several interesting points to think about in a little more detail. One, it's random, but representative. Every single tribe contributes the same number of people to the boule. Two, 
There's no advantage. You're only allowed to do it twice, and you can't do it in two consecutive years. Three, it's remunerated, so people are paid. Four, there is an awful lot of learning from being involved. Something like two-thirds of all the eligible citizens had direct experience of being at the very centre of political affairs. Not only did this involve them in the decision-making and bring all their experience of farming or business or education or whatever, bring all of that experience into play, it also meant that they brought a greater understanding of political affairs, what it was like to have to make decisions which were fair to everyone, how to balance the needs of today with planning for the future and so on. It brought that greater understanding of politics and political affairs back into their normal lives as farmers, business people, teachers, and so on. Five, it was not elected politicians. And finally, I think that when you look at the idea of the boule, you think, wow, this is actually something we could possibly learn from in the modern world. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, we have made politics into a profession. But the heartbreaking thing about modern democracy is that the people who end up in charge are people who pursued a career in politics, which by definition is making them not really representative of the average person in the rest of society. Whereas with the system of the boule, that didn't exist in ancient Athens. Yes, the random but representative selection process for the people who were to serve on the boule, the advisory council for the main assembly, meant that there wasn't a need to have professional politicians. Now that's at the very heart of what this podcast has identified as one of the problems with our current system of representative democracy. Apart from the challenges for any elected representative to be truly representative of their electorate, that's episodes three and four if you want to look back, apart from what it takes to get to be chosen by a political party and to climb the ranks of that political party, for example, have a look at episodes 13 and 15, it means that it isn't just anyone who will be able to be an elected representative or able to be a minister or even prime minister. It all takes not only a special kind of person, it also takes a person with an extraordinary level of dedication to getting into that role, with a lot of luck, not least of being in the right place at the right time. Think about how many Conservative MPs were elected just because there was a swing against Jeremy Corbyn and towards Boris Johnson in December 2019, and who might not have been elected otherwise, and who might get voted out in the next election. And also, crucially, someone whose greatest skill is actually working within the political party machinery of the party, or at least who has to spend an awful lot of effort on that sort of stuff. What we actually want in government is people who are being representative of all of us, of people who are a bit like us, but able to be good at making decisions on our behalf. Not people who have to spend far too much of their time working the political party machinery, just to be able to get to the point of being able to make good decisions on our behalf. If their political party, with the whips and the power of ministers and so on, will let them make the decision. Far too often, as we have seen, for example in episode 15, Parliament, our elected representatives are simply told how to vote, whether in Parliament or in committees. So, could a system, a bit like the Athenian bull, but modernised, brought up to date, could that work for us today? Could it add something to our party political system? Could it, in fact, work better than our party political system? At the heart of this question about citizen government is the idea 
that we could remove the illusion that we need political agendas. We really just need competent government. The rationale for our representative party political system of democracy starts with the idea that we can't all spend the time necessary to look into everything. We delegate our elected representatives to look into the details for us and to make the best decisions, to manage the situation for the best on our behalf. But we've already seen that a citizen's assembly would actually be better at dealing with the big difficult issues, what we call the wicked issues, better than our elected representatives are. Citizens' assemblies would just look at what the best thing to do would be, not at whether it would be popular or would ensure that whether they got re-elected or not. We've also seen that the idea of citizen scrutiny might take some of the party political point scoring out of the process of checking up on the quality of what our government and our ministers are doing. If we had committees made up of citizens who are selected from special pools of suitable people with no political points to prove and no career to manage, nothing to gain from the process, other than the satisfaction of doing a good job on behalf of us all, well, that sort of citizen scrutiny might well do a much better job of checking up on our government and on our ministers than junior members of their own parties do in the current scrutiny committees, which are dominated by the same political party which forms the government and which selects the ministers better than the poacher being the gamekeeper as well. Citizens' assemblies and citizen scrutiny, well, they look pretty good. But what about this idea of citizen government? Well, what is the rest of the point of our representative party political system of democracy? Well, when we vote, we know that we're voting for a political party which we think would form a good government, for a political party leader whom we think would be a good prime minister, and for a set of policies, a manifesto which more or less represents what we think should happen over the coming five or more years, the lifetime of a parliament. But, as we've seen, particularly recently, the Prime Minister can change, because the leader of a party can change, sometimes quite rapidly in succession. And as we've also seen, a manifesto is more of a sort of a wish list, perhaps even a menu from which some things might be selected and followed through, but from which other things might simply be dropped. It can be hard to work out what our representative party political system of democracy is actually delivering, what we couldn't get from a system a bit like the Athenian bull, what we're calling here citizen government. Our MPs are elected for five years. Some of them, perhaps even most of them, get re-elected for another five years, but not all of them. How would that be so different from being randomly selected from an agreed pool of citizens, to serve on a citizen government for five years. Now, we might think that our Prime Minister would certainly be a role for which we'd need someone with a lot of political experience. But our current Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, was only elected as an MP for the first time in 2015, and only seven years later, he's running the country, or trying to do the herding cat's job of keeping his political party all pointed roughly in the same direction anyway. You could say much the same about David Cameron, by the way. If we had some of our citizen government volunteers getting reselected to coordinate the next round of citizen government volunteers, wouldn't that be pretty much the same? Wouldn't they have pretty much the same amount of experience? Well, it's certainly an idea worth mulling over. What do you think? Is there anything crucial which our political parties bring to the governing of our country which would be lost if the government was actually carried out by randomly selected representative citizens. 
Remember, of course, that most of the government of our country is actually carried out by people who have not been elected anyway, and who may or may not have anything to do with political parties. The civil servants. The elected politicians merely get the limited and time-limited right to ask those civil servants to do things a little bit more this way or a little bit more that way. Other than being swayed by the needs of their political party, to be popular, to get re-elected, to continue to have influence and to wield power, is there any of this which are properly briefed, prepared, trained and randomly selected representative citizen couldn't do instead? And, perhaps better, is there any of this which that sort of citizen couldn't do more impartially, with less focus on popularity and more focus on doing the right thing? Again, what do you think? There is another, related but slightly different idea, which we could also explore here. What would it be like if we had fantasy government? You've heard of fantasy football. Well, how would you develop a game which would allow people to select the best performing MPs, ministers, the best decisions, and to run a fantasy government league? (laughs) Perhaps you could even have an international leader one as well, rating performance in terms of the measured impact and the consensus of commentators on the quality of their decisions, rather than popularity in terms of positive media mentions. Would that actually be a better way of assessing who the good elected representatives were? Would it be a good way of judging our elected representatives to be looking at the quality of what they actually achieve, rather than re-electing them because we happen to have seen their face in the news or in the paper? Would our elected representatives be doing more of what we actually want if they were rated on the quality of the government that they deliver. There is a sort of a model for this already. It's called the Good Country Index. The Good Country Index says about itself, the idea of the Good Country Index is simple, to measure what each country on earth contributes to the common good of humanity and what it takes away relative to its size. The Good Country Index looks at what each country does, which makes the world a better place across a range of criteria, such as science and technology, culture, international peace and security, planet and climate, health and well-being. The combination of the quality and quantity of what each country is doing for the greater benefit of humanity and the planet is then combined to an overall rating. In case you're wondering, Sweden is currently top and the UK is only 14th. Now, obviously, in that context, it's important to note that the United States is 46th. But just because the UK is a lot better than many, there's still clearly room for improvement. What if we had a rating system like this for our elected representatives? The quality of what their decisions have done to make the country better, to improve the standards of living for everyone. If they're ministers or if they work on scrutiny committee, what have the real impact of their policies and management been? Not just today, not just this week but over years or even over decades. In fact, perhaps we should make a point of continuing to rate our elected representatives long after they have stood down or been voted out. Perhaps they should all know that the things they do today will always be tracked. The quality of the decisions they make, the quality of the contributions which they make or perhaps fail to make, will always be followed up. So we will always know in the fullness of time, when all the chickens have come home to roost, whether they were any good or not. 
Well, perhaps that would be an option. Perhaps as well as citizen government? Perhaps instead of citizen government? Again, what do you think? So that's it. Citizen government. With citizens' assemblies, we have citizens, not elected politicians, politicians who are too worried about their chances of getting re-elected. We have citizens trying to work out how to best address the real challenges of our world, the wicked issues. With citizens' scrutiny, we have citizens, not elected politicians, who, who are too worried about being good party members and advancing their own careers. We have citizens checking up on what our governments and ministers are doing. Citizen government is an even larger step, but it is also an ancient step, one which could be traced all the way back to the origins of democracy in ancient Greece. This is an idea which has been used very successfully in the past. Instead of the whole rigmarole of elections and political parties, perhaps we could just have good fellow citizens stepping up or being called up by a sort of a lottery so that you couldn't just volunteer for it, but stepping up in the sense that they're volunteering to be available for selection by lottery. And perhaps most, or even all, of the functions which our elected representatives fulfil could be fulfilled by these randomly selected volunteers. What do you think? Could we really do without electing representatives at all? It's actually sort of in line with what Sir Keir Starmer proposed in late 2022, when he said that he would, quote, replace the House of Lords with a smaller democratic second chamber. Now, what would a democratic second chamber actually be? Does democratic mean that it would be directly elected? Or does it just mean, well, actually it does mean, just that it is putting the power more directly in the hands of the people? That's what democracy means, people power, and that's citizen government. Well, perhaps not exactly what Sir Keith Starmer had in mind when he raised that, but perhaps it is actually something he might want to think about. There are advantages. We could save a whole lot of effort on electoral politics, on the elections themselves, and party political fighting for a start. But there are definitely some potential disadvantages and risks too. For all that we've spent the past year or so pointing out all the problems which political parties cause, they are also a channel for constructive thinking about how our country could be organised differently, about how it should be run. Would we lose that if we only had volunteers who were in position for five or so years? Would our country lose some of its energy and dynamism and sense of direction? Or perhaps all that energy and dynamism and sense of direction actually don't come from our elected politicians at all. Perhaps they simply reflect the energy and dynamism and sense of direction which are generated by all of us, every day, just getting on with our lives. Collectively, perhaps all that energy and dynamism and sense of direction actually comes from what we're all doing. Lots of little bits, but adding up to one great big bit. Perhaps we really could do without political parties and without elected representatives. What do you think? If you'd like to have a look at the transcripts of this podcast, including links to all of our sources and references, please go to www.talktogether.info and follow the links to the podcast from there. And of course, if you'd like to contact us, not least if you'd like to share any ideas which you have about how we could make things better, or if there are any areas you've noticed where politics is supposed to work but isn't working, or anything you'd like to draw to our attention, then please email us anytime on info at talktogether.info.
If you've enjoyed this podcast, then I hope you'll take the time to tell your friends. And perhaps you could also take a moment to give us a rating wherever you found us. That not only helps other people to find us, it just also really makes us feel appreciated. That would be great. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, my God.